This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. I'm Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm Alex Shapiro. We're estheticians in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and we work with really incredible, diverse, ambitious, and driven people who are killing it in life. They deserve to be celebrated, and on this podcast, we're going to be sharing their stories with you. Yeah, and in between our interview episodes, we'll have Beauty School, where it's just the two of us, maybe some guest stars, and we'll be chatting about beauty, life, weird shit about being in your 30s, and learning more about one another, because that's what makes us more similar than different. Also, we're a lot of fun, and we have a super multicultural community, and we kind of think that you might too. So, why not talk about all things beauty under one black and Jewish roof? Plus, we'll be answering listener questions, so be sure to write us at truebeautybrokenpodcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, let's jump into the show. Oh, hey, guys. Hey. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. Welcome. It's Elizabeth and Alex. And we have an awesome episode for you guys today. We're with um, one of our favorite guests, Chelsea Fasano. Mm -hmm. But before we jump into that episode, we just wanted to make a quick announcement because we are so excited to announce our beauty baddie directory. directory. We've been talking about it for fucking weeks since day one. I mean, for like a year. For basically a year. We just didn't know what it would be. Exactly. And now we have an incredible team to help us out. Essentially, we want to be able to give you guys a great directory where you can find people for your skincare, for your brows, people that are vetted by us. So you know that they are fucking baddies. So we need you yes. to go to the link tree in our Instagram bio. Yeah, y'all have to follow us on Instagram. Sawe. Yeah. You better follow us, not just click on the link. Exactly. Um, <laughs> It's uh, our handle is at True Beauty Broken Podcast, mm-hmm. and there you can find um, an entry form to exactly. fill out. Yes, um, anyone who you love, an esthetician that you love, who does your brows or who does yes. your skincare, um, we will then vet- do our own vetting before we officially add them to the directory. Yes, but our goal is because like we we can't see all y'all, nor do we want to. I'm busy, but I'm not trying to be all goddamn day busy. And also the goal of the podcast was really to share that there, it doesn't just have to be two people. It doesn't just have to be any one esthetician. There are so many incredible estheticians that are out there. They, we just need to find them. They just need a little bit of help. And so you guys knew us and we got the internets. Yeah. So we're going to try and help spread the word. Um, this is just for North America to start. Totally. Sorry. Because it's too much it's otherwise. just us yes it's just us <laughs> but eventually we'd love to um have submissions from all over the world totally europe we coming for you africa y'all shit get us to africa please um so just north america to begin with visit us on instagram uh, i was gonna say instagram.com visit- <laughs> go to instagram.com <laughs> slash true beauty Brooklyn Brooklyn podcast. podcast that probably works right? it does work yeah and <laughs> in our um the link in our bio there's a link tree within the link tree you're gonna see the link to the beauty baddie directory and just click on that and then fill out the badass that you know tell us what she does right now we're just doing skincare and brows we're gonna venture out some more later send us their uh, social handle send us their website if they have a website Whatever else you can give us. Look, we didn't make the forms. We got some people that are helping us out with the forms. Whatever the form asks you to do, fucking fill it out. Send it to us. We're going to bet them, and then we're going to let the world know. So also, tell your girl that she's going to be busy. Yeah. And that's it. So now listen to our episode with Chelsea, guys. Enjoy. 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 
hey guys hey welcome to the true beauty brooklyn podcast welcome it's elizabeth and alex and the beautiful you can introduce yourself like chelsea Pisano. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a very special guest on the show today with us it's our beautiful friend chelsea Fasano. and i'm gonna actually let you maybe introduce all of your accolades because i don't want to mess it up and also you're just sure incredible. sure yes Thank you, Elizabeth. So I'm Chelsea. I work in the realms of sexuality, intimacy, and spirituality. I study at Columbia University, where I conduct several research projects um, about the intersection of Tantra and neuroscience and meditation and neuroscience. And I also work as the head of research and development for Kenneth Clay, who is a sex educator that teaches live hands-on sex ed. And I have a long history of meditation and tantric yoga practice. Um, you can read about all of this on my website, chelseapisano.com. <laughs> That's the best intro, I think, ever for... If you want to know more, fucking Google me. Well, also, just like, I can't wait to dive in. If I, I was hearing It'll this for just, the first time, yeah, I'd yeah. be like, who is this bitch? It sparked my interest, as though I've never Hands talked to you before. Sex therapy, all right. Hands-on sex yeah. <laughs> education, exactly. So, but Chelsea's a bad bitch. She's been a client of ours for many, many years. And, well, we had her on the show before, but... I fucked up the sound because we had our brand new, beautiful, handy Zoom that I didn't know how to use. So we got some wires crossed, so the sound isn't the greatest. Also, we weren't on the Exactly Right Network. So now we have so many more listeners, and we covered so many incredible things last time that for sure it's worth going over some of the things we talked about last time for people who might not have heard it, but also just like exploring some new questions because we asked you guys if you had any questions for the beautiful Miss Chelsea a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And we got some great listener questions, too. Should we dive in? Let's dive in. Okay. So the first question is one that probably most of you, especially if you're single and on dating apps, mm-hmm. you will have this question. It's simple, but it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> so Cheyenne wrote in and asked, why do people ghost? Yes. Why? Why do they? I've been in a relationship for a long time, but I fucking hear from single friends, from clients. Yes. All the time. All day. Even when things are going well, they've had a couple good dates. And instead of the dude or the woman just saying, like, you know, I'm not feeling it, like, whatever, whatever, give some feedback. Real quick, I have a client who actually gave feedback to a dude while they were on the date. Mm -hmm. She was about to leave. And it was like his first date or one of his first dates in many years because he was in a long term relationship. And yeah. she was like, do you want me to like give you some feedback? Because he was like, oh, I want to see you again. And she's like, I don't really want to hang out again. Um, but this is why. And she was super nice about it. That is so I don't know. how. I, f- I mean, it's great. She, but it's just he also was just very like, appreciative. The guy. Yeah, he I mean, was like, I know nothing about, about dating it? now in my 30s, you yeah. know, because he'd been in a relationship for so long. She was super nice about it. Yeah. She's like, I felt like. No one's ever told this to him. And it was just something simple. Like, you didn't ask any questions about me. Wow. I had to facilitate talking about myself, and that was uncomfortable. Wow. And I'm sure you did care. You were maybe nervous, whatever it is. But it's just something to, like, be mindful of because people like when you ask them questions about themselves. Yeah. I thought that was Mm -hmm. fucking great. That's awesome. He texted her later to, like, thank her again. That's awesome. But he really appreciated it. Yeah. Because I think he had had, like, a couple failed dates. <laughs> okay, so that's, like, the adult version of not ghosting. So let's find yeah. out why everybody else does the other but part. But I just wanted to point out that not everybody ghosts. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Okay, so Chelsea, why do they ghost? I, I feel like it's more men, but maybe it's just because I'm always talking to women. I think it's both genders, um, from what I hear, talking to men. And I think, although it's a complicated answer, the fundamental... Un- underlying factor is just a decrease in empathy which I um, talked about in the last episode and Esther Perel has an amazing video on ghosting icing and simmering and how all of them represent a decline in empathy in the general population in regards to dating Um, and I think there's a few reasons for that but one of them is that the way we are wired as human beings is that a lot of the basis for our empathy neurologically is in parts of our brain that relate to um, movement and sensing another person's movement in space. It sounds kind of technical, but basically the way that we actually experience empathy is through a neurological system called the mirror neurons. And what Mm. happens is that they they encode motion of the body. And as they encode it, it's, um, it, triggers a process whereby we try to predict another person's motivation and intentions 
through their movement. And this was mm -hmm. likely an evolutionary adaptation to avoid threat and to find mates and things of that nature, which has continued on to today. So when you are in person with someone, you're getting a lot more data that's flowing into the system that is wired to make you feel what the other person is feeling and mm -hmm. predict what the other person might do. And that kind of a sensation is likely to make you have more empathy for that person. When we're on a screen or we're on a dating app, if you're on a dating app, you're not seeing the person. Often you're just interacting with a screen with letters on it or a picture, which is not moving. It's not a real person. Mm -hmm. So it's all very abstract. And you're not going to have the same intuitive feeling that you owe the person tenderness or kindness. Mm. It's almost like they're a robot. Like there's no yeah, emotional, like there's no human connection. Mm. It yeah. kind of sounds like it's what you're saying. Yeah, to put it super simply, it's just that we are looking when we're all, we're, it's notorious that the internet is full of, you know, trolls and bullies and we have all these names for the cruelty that people dole out on the internet. And when you're on a dating app or you're on a phone and that's the main way you're interacting with other human beings, it's an extension of that same low empathy behavior that people engage in virtually, essentially. Totally. And I think we're all old enough to remember the time before dating apps and be yeah. on maybe the tail end of the generation that grew up in a time when there wasn't dating apps and mm -hmm. then seeing them evolve as we've dated. Yeah. And I, it's definitely anyone who's our age or older will know how drastically behavior has changed since that time. And a lot of it is because dating apps essentially present the search for a partner similarly to you, how you would present the search for a, buying something. Yeah. Like a good it's or a, a service. So yeah, it's gamified. It's kind of Amazon Prime-ish. Mm -hmm. And so since we're so flooded with the same behavior pattern and the same images when it comes to buying stuff, and then we have this sort of same process occurring on dating apps, it sort of gives you the sense that you're not looking for a mate or looking for a connection or looking for a friendship, but rather shopping for someone that will fulfill your superficial desires in the same way that you would an object. Yes. Which leads to treating the person like an object, and yes. obviously they're not. They have feelings. Yes. But it's so crazy because it's like, you know objectification like the word objectification it's like you can throw it out there but it's like it's right you're presenting it so perfectly right it's like you're looking at somebody as an object there's no human and you said it exactly right there's no human behind whatever it is that besides what you're putting onto them right besides whatever it is that like you're kind of creating in this fantasy world because you probably never even heard this person's voice let's be real right mm. which is like it, this is reminding me so much of like how people get catfished right because you're just so able to create this fan look I've never been on dating apps so I'm not trying to like judge I'm just can base this on what I've seen and what I've heard and what I can imagine from like the little bit of chat rooms <laughs> that I was on in the early <laughs> a little bit I was All right, a chat MSN, room queen. Come on, ASL. No, but it's like <laughs> you create this fantasy of this person because you have no, you've got nothing else to go by. You just yeah. have like these little mm -hmm. bits of things that people say about them, and then you're absolutely right. There's like no animation behind it. There's no. I mean, dude, when I talk to these girls about going on dates, like, you know, the hottest, oh, it's still, it's like the sexiest thing about meeting somebody new is like that fucking chemistry, that thing that you mm -hmm. can't even put your finger on you just feel it you can't feel that through an app and like no is that gonna maybe like make you not ghost somebody probably not but that is like a connection that will at least like yeah. make this into a human a real actual live human being that like has a goddamn beating heart exactly and it's notorious that you can't really feel sexual chemistry over the internet or people say that a lot and I think everyone who's been on a dating app has had the experience of getting along with someone really well over text and then meeting them and just instantaneously knowing yes or no about you know as soon as your body is next to their body your body is registering a ton of information that your conscious mind can't really explain to you there's yeah. levels of processing that are occurring some of them are in our pheromones, some of them are in our enteric nervous system, some of them are in subcortical animal areas where we have a lot of subconscious processing that occurs. And all of that stuff is what really tells you uh, or informs your conscious mind about what is, you know, chemistry, yeah. <laughs> what, what kind yeah. of chemistry you have right. with the person. And then, you know, those same 
processes are informing your ability to empathize with someone. I mean, even if you're just watching someone, a friend is having a hard time and you're with them while they're crying, it hits you in a totally different way than it would be if they're over the phone or over the internet. Totally. So I think in order for people to treat each other well, essentially what one has to do is decide to be kind and empathetic regardless of the fact that it doesn't necessarily seem intuitive to do so over virtual space. Right. And that has to be something that is important enough to people. And I think the reason why it's not happening is because no one is seeing. So if you reject someone in person, you see their face. Yeah. And you get to see if you were to say harmful words or just leave the conversation in the middle of the conversation, which is essentially what ghosting is, right? If you're in a Mm -hmm. conversation and you just turn around and walk away, you're going to have a sense that the person is confused and hurt and feeling disconnect from you. And if you did have sex or have some intimate connection, you're going to have to face the repercussions. There's no repercussions to be faced when you just ghost someone. So it's a matter of consciously deciding to consider another person. Yeah. Which, you know. It seems so weird to not care unless the person was like a dick. Well, I kind of think it kind of from, all right, you and I have never really done the online dating thing, yeah. but from what I, I guess it's like everyone's a dime a dozen. Is that, that how exactly, it kind of feels, Exactly. Like yeah. And we were talking with this, um, with a friend earlier this week when we were kind of like prepping for this conversation and she made a really good point that like seeing so many people at one time gives you what, what how did she phrase it? That seeing so many people gives you the idea of like togetherness, but because everybody's a dime a dozen, you're actually more lonely because people are more dispendable mm-hmm. which is like crazy to think it's true yeah Sucks. yeah definitely so psychological studies actually show that there is proof that people's evaluation of their partner is based on their ideas about the possibilities for partnership so this is one of those evolutionary psychology findings where essentially if you perceive there to be a ton of available people that fit your criteria for compatibility, you are less likely to appreciate your current partner than if you perceive them to be special and sort of that if you leave them, you're not likely to find someone else like them. Mm -hmm. Now, you're exactly right that when you scroll through dating apps or you're watching a million different porn actresses a day, your conscious mind doesn't necessarily think that all these people are available partners, but your subconscious mind does. Mm. You're, you actually metabolize, and there's studies that actually look at this, you actually metabolize all of these different faces and bodies as available potential partners. So then when you are faced with having to deal with the challenges and difficulties of actually forming a long-term intimate connection, which mm-hmm. involves seeing someone as imperfect and yourself as imperfect and seeing their flaws and seeing your own flaws. Yes. It's much easier to avoid that and go towards this illusion of abundance. But like you said, because people are less and less able to actually form deep connections, that's exactly what it is. It's an illusion of abundance Mm -hmm. that in reality, it may be that connection is scarcer than ever. Yeah. And so I think, I think connection is scarcer than ever. Like, look, I'm not an easy person to live with. I'm definitely not an easy person to partner with. I'm fucking hard-headed and bossy, and I can be mean, right? And so there are times where I'm like, bitch, what the fuck you... What? This guy didn't even do the goddamn dishes. Leave his ass. Go in the room. (laughs) Fucking find someplace. I'm just not in the mood, right? It's just one of those days. And as soon as I, like, sit down and have a moment to, like, think and breathe, and I think about all these fucking stories that these women tell me, and I think about just, like, not even that, but just, like, the little things that make me, like, love my partner, right? Which is what we should always be doing. But it's just, like, the little subtleties that I'm just like, yo, you're never going to meet another man like this to put up with your ass, bitch. And all this shit, and does this, and does that. And so I whittle my shit down. And before I know it, I'm in there doing the dishes. You know what I mean? <laughs> but this is what I say to women. And I always, like, make this joke. Like, I remember, oh, my God, y'all. I remember the moment that I thought that I was feeling myself. And I was like, you know what? This is, like, back, back when Kevin and I were first dating. Maybe year two. I was like, I don't like this, this, and this about you. And he said, well, I don't like this, this, and this about you. Yeah, I was shocked. So you're like, wait, I'm perfect. I was shocked. I couldn't believe he didn't think I was perfect. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this motherfucker, I don't think I'm perfect. But it's exactly what you're saying. And it's like, 
I, I made this analogy before, and I think it's true. I hear women talking about going on these dates, and they're throwing these men, and men, too, are throwing these people away the way, you know, watching fucking HGTV, and they're looking at this beautiful house, and they're like, well, I don't like the wallpaper, so we're not going to take this house. And it's like, bitch, you can change the wallpaper. What about the frame? Yeah. What about the fucking, like, wood? You what know about what I mean? that like, great fireplace? What about that great fireplace? You can't um, find that in the next that's place, That's my girl. analogy for the Duke. <laughs> <laughs> You like that? I like that one. I like that. But it's true. It's like people look at these. I think that people look at people exactly like you said, like commoditized. Do you know what I mean? Just like, oh, another one will be along. Another one will be along. A better one. A better one will be along. Not yeah. even another one, but a better one. It's that has gotta everything. be hard. You know, I didn't have as many choices. <laughs> Why do I just like my partner? That, dude, I think that we're living in a world uh, where of uh, perceived perfection. Yeah. Where everybody's yeah. lying on the internet and people think that they are going to find perfection somehow. And it doesn't mm-hmm. exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah. It, doesn't. it doesn't exist. You need to be lucky enough yeah. to find somebody that will tolerate your ass and love you still. Will say, girl, despite this, I'm here. Or guy. Yeah. Or person. Yeah. That's it. True. Well, I think you're both right. There is such a thing as choice paralysis, and it's relatively well studied in psychology, where we actually think that more choices will make us happier, but it's not the case. Beyond a certain point, when you give people too many choices, it just actually decreases their happiness and it confuses people and makes you not happy with any of the things. And that's everything from humans to consumer goods, which is why you know, if you consult a branding person, they'll tell you, you know, don't give them seven things to do at checkout, just give them three, right? Yeah, yeah. We're not really wired to live in the kind of society we've created. Most of our evolutionary history occurred in small tribal settings where you knew everyone. It was a small-ish number of people, and there was some degree of intimacy, however small that would be, with almost everyone. Now we're living in a world with a million choices and a million people and a totally different power structure and societal structure. And I think there's a lot of issues with how that's creating a lack of accountability and affecting our moral compass because we don't have a whole tribe to Mm. or a whole group of people to decide that we have acted inappropriately to another member of our group Mm -hmm. if we're dating in our friend group we have that or dating people at work we have that Mm -hmm. and then people might think twice about ghosting someone or about treating Mm -hmm. them really poorly Mm -hmm. because there's a level of accountability with a shared social group that's my sister you just did that's my sister so now you're on the outs yeah it's true exactly Right. And yeah, there's this book I was reading recently by Ken Page called Deeper Dating. And it's about how we can bring more authenticity to dating. Um, I think that part of the problem is that we a lot of dating advice books are actually encouraging people to sort of sell their wallpaper, if you will, using your metaphor and looking at another person's wallpaper. You know, it's mm-hmm. all about creating more, even if we're not looking at illusions the on the internet. Yeah. Sell the house. Mm-hmm. How do we sell the house? Yeah. You know, get abs, do this and that, yeah. make the paint job prettier, not, you know, do work on yourself to be a better human being. Um, and one of the reviews for this book on the, on the back cover that I think is just so well said is if you're looking for a soulmate lead with your soul. And that kind of mentality is just not something people know how to do anymore. Mm -hmm. And they're not looking for the other person's soul either. And if even if you would find the person with the perfect wallpaper and you they have all the abs and the job and the things and they seem really confident and whatnot, you're going to be five years into the relationship and do exactly what you're doing, Elizabeth, where you're reckoning with the person who you are and the person who they are. And is that deep connection worth it to you to pass up pretty shiny things? And that's any relationship anyone will ever be in. And there is no relationship where the grass isn't greener to some degree on the other side or where you just go in and it's a heaven, the happily ever after Prince Charming story just no, doesn't exist. Because we're all fucked so, up. Right. But it sort of seems like it does if you just look at everyone's Instagram. Yes. Which is the problematic thing that's occurring now, I think. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So. Damn. Yeah. Dang. That's a lot. That's a lot. So how do we wrap that up? Why do people ghost? There's no. Well, there was a lot of answers for you. So how do we encourage empathy? How do we encourage our listeners to practice what we're talking about? That's a good question. We need more IRL interactions. More IRL. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Getting out from behind good. the screens. Yeah. 
going to bars or wherever it is that people hang out, maybe? I don't know. These are all just guesses. Yeah, I mean, I think it's actually in a lot of the answer is in the statement that you made about what happened with you and your relationship, where you said you don't like things about Kevin, <laughs> and then you said, well, I don't like things about you. I think sort of like realizing that a lot of the rhetoric that I hear from women and men is all about how no one can find anyone that's good enough for them. But there's not a lot mm. about realizing that we too are not perfect, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you want someone to acknowledging that we are not perfect physically and emotionally and in every other way and realizing that, you know, how do you want to be treated? Do you want someone to be picking you apart, looking for every flaw as a reason to leave you for some more perfect person? Or do you want someone to actually invest in getting to know you on a date? Now, most people would say number two, but they haven't necessarily cultivated the capacity yes. to do that in return. So yes. they go on these dates expecting that their partner love them unconditionally and get to know them and blah, 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 and love their flaws, but then they're not willing to do the same in return. Yes. So mm -hmm. I think it's just a matter of sort of examining oneself and deciding if you, I mean, it's the old saying of treating people how you would like to be treated, but I think that requires a degree of soul searching in today's culture that it did not require in the past. Yes, because it's like driving in New York. You've got to be aggressive and defensive at the same time, right? Yeah. You can't you can't let everybody know your fucking deepest, darkest secrets, but you also be vulnerable because that's what it takes to be in a relationship. Not at the not at the exactly. beginning. I'm saying it takes like, you know, I was talking to my younger cousin about this because somebody this happened to her. Somebody ghosted her and. And she said, you know, what did I do wrong? I told, you know, I opened up to them so much. I told them so much about myself. And I said, what to learn here is that not everybody gets to learn that about you. Not everybody who meets you gets to know that much about you, do you know? And that's hard to, especially when you're young, that's hard to understand. But that's what it is, is only select few people get to know the inner you. But at the same time, you want to have a relationship, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. if you've never driven in New York, you got to be defensive and aggressive at the same time. And it sounds mm -hmm. like that's what it takes in today's society to find yourself a, a partner. I like that conclusion. I think so. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I also think letting oneself feel the sting of those moments is okay as well. And we should be careful about who we open up to and realize that there are people out there that don't deserve our vulnerability. But mm -hmm. also, if we, this I see is what's happening is people get ghosted and get rejected and have a hard time. And because there's low empathy, instead of allowing them to feel the pain of being treated that way, they kind of harden up and start treating other people that way back. So it's mm -hmm. like a perpetual arms race, right? Where everyone is putting on more and more armor. And the more armor you have on, the less you feel the sting when someone goes to you and the more likely you are to do it to someone else because you've forgotten how painful that is because yeah. your armor is so heavy. So there's some balance between being protective of oneself and trusting your instincts to tell you if someone is not the right person to open up to, but also allowing yourself to remain vulnerable in the face of what can be a very difficult and challenging process of getting to know other people and being vulnerable and developing connection. Totally. And it's going to be painful and yeah. you have to be okay with that a yeah. little bit. Totally. You're mm -hmm. so right. You're so right. That's what being in a relationship is, or trying at least, right, is being vulnerable. And it's fucking terrifying. 13 years in, and it's still terrifying, you know, to be vulnerable. It's, it never gets easier. It gets a little easier. You strengthen the muscle, like anything. You do it. The more you do it, the yeah. more you strengthen the muscle. Totally. Okay, so we hope that that helped you, Cheyenne. We hope that that was, that was a whole mouthful. It was a great question with a fabulous answer. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back for the next Listener Letters. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Okay, so we have a question from Sylvia. Hey girl. She asks, Hi. Love the pod on so many levels. My question for Chelsea is in regards to my lack of sex and intimacy. I stepped outside of my marriage four years ago and have done a ton of couples therapy to repair our relationship. About three years ago, my husband began shutting down physically with me. I thought maybe it was a dry spell and that he was dealing with his own triggers and issues from the past, so I've tried to be patient and understanding. 
He says he needs a deeper connection with me to be intimate on that level as he sees sex with me as dangerous and too vulnerable, but I find a deeper connection with my partner through sex and intimacy. It feels like we're stuck in this loop that we can't get out of and I have to make peace with the fact that I won't have a marriage that includes sex. Not gonna lie, this sexless marriage feels like the punishment I deserve for my infidelity. That I should just be happy that my partner stuck it out through the torture I put him through. Well, that sounds like a very painful situation for both people involved. Mm -hmm. And I feel, you know, it's really brave to write in and have this question aired. So thank you for writing. Yeah, girl. Thank you, Sylvia. I think the first thing that comes to my mind to bring up is the fact that cheating is a relatively common occurrence in relationships. So I recently read a study that said that 16% of women who are married cheat and 25% of men who are married. So that's one in four to one in six, depending on your gender. And from other research and researchers that I know, uh, that number goes up as high as 50% when you look at long-term relationships that aren't marriage. Wow. So this is not an uncommon, yeah, this is not an uncommon behavior. And I think that's important to keep in mind when it's someone either yourself or someone else that's engaged in it, because it's kind of a part of the human condition. I think how one deals with that is then sort of there's multiple choices in how we want to deal with that fact. I think people don't want that fact to be the fact that that's the way things are. Mm -hmm. But once you acknowledge that that's the way things are, there's various different approaches to dealing with that. Do you mean like you're not alone? Like when you say that's the way things are, like it's not just you. You're not the only person in the world who's yeah. ever done this. You're not alone. It happens more often than you think. And now that we know that you can stop punishing, well, I'm not going to say you're going to stop punishing yourself. That's your job. But now that we know that, what are we going to do, right? Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, there's many people who go through this and decide that they want to be in open relationships so that they don't have to participate in the lack of communication or lying part of cheating, which is arguably the more problematic aspect of, you know, having sex with someone else. Mm -hmm. There's people who are able to move forward. You know, there's all sorts of solutions. And I think the important thing to highlight here is that the part that she wrote at the end about, I deserve to be punished like this, for the rest of my life or some years is definitely not the sort of truth with a capital T. Mm. That's a really painful subjective feeling. And I think anyone who feels like they've hurt someone else might feel that, Mm -hmm. but that's not the only way of going about this resolving infidelity. So I think that's something that at some level this person is going to have to decide if they are willing to sign up for continuing to not have something very important to them because of a past mistake that is a very common one among the human population. And I think you can tell from my answer, you know, what I feel about that, which is it doesn't seem like a great idea. Mm -hmm. However, I really hesitate to give anyone personal information, you know, over the air without knowing them or having them right in front of me. Um, But I think it's useful to maybe look up my colleague, Dr. Shauna. She has a whole open relationship course, and she talks a lot Mm. about these statistics about infidelity and how common it is for people to have desires and act out outside of their monogamous relationship. So I think knowing that she's not alone and getting some more information on how common this is and what the various options are for how to deal with it and seeing people who do deal with it in different ways would be helpful Mm-hmm. As for the second part, the dynamic of one person wanting more connection and the other person and finding that they're aroused when they have connection and the other person finding that they need sex to get connected is a pretty common one. And I think the stereotype is that it goes in the reverse, that the man wants sex to find connection and that the woman wants connection to find sex. Mm-hmm. And that, um, but I don't think that stereotype is necessarily true. I know tons of women who feel the way that, you know, sex is their means of connection. And that is something where, I mean, obviously couples therapy with a skilled sex therapist is helpful. I would read the book Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. She talks about different styles of sexual arousal. And one of the interesting things about sexual arousal in humans is it's divided into what they call the dual control model, which is we have two systems operating in our sexual arousal system. One is excitation and one is inhibition. So Mm. it's not one lever. It's actually two. And they're kind of like a seesaw. Or you can think of this like a car. 
there's brakes and an accelerator. Mm. If you press down on the brakes and you press on the gas, you might move, but really slowly. Or if you have the emergency brake on, it might not go at all. So genetically and because of biographical factors, certain people have high inhibition and low excitation or the reverse. Often the people who really want sex all the time, regardless of whether they're connected to their partner or other factors, are high excitation, low inhibition. Mm. People who need specific circumstances to feel safe enough to have sex are often high inhibition, low excitation. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard often for people to understand when your partner has a totally different nervous system than you. And often the high excitation person, so the person who's like gas pedal is super sensitive and they're just ready to go all the time, feels frustrated with the person who needs really specific conditions to be aroused. Mm -hmm. The person who needs specific conditions starts to feel really rushed and unappreciated and they don't understand how the person with a sensitive gas is so ready to go all the time. Mm -hmm. So I think getting some intellectual information on why and how this is occurring can help you to have cognitive empathy for what's going on with your partner and then meeting in the middle. So if the person with the high inhibition, whatever they might need in order to get more aroused, maybe it's connection, maybe it's to finish some things on the to-do list so they can be less distracted mm -hmm. or a specific setting or whatever, the high excitation person should be able to provide that some of the time. And then the high inhibition person should also be willing to do things that really honor and celebrate the high excitation person because no one wants to feel like a crazy nympho in their relationship. Mm -hmm. Both sides need to be honored, right? So, right. and it's some, something about intellectually understanding the other person, figuring out their needs. And then sometimes you need to alternate. Like this time that we have sex, we're going to do it this way. And the next time we have sex, we're going to do it that way. If the people are really far apart on their styles, sometimes it's not possible to meet in the middle all the time. Right. And you need to just have sort of, you know, an alternating schedule, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem that's sort of regardless of infidelity, but it would obviously be made, More it would apparent. be exacerbated. Yeah. It would be exacerbated when the relationship is under stress. Right. Well, that's like a really, really emotional and like intellectual way of looking at it mm -hmm. that I think makes perfect sense. I mean, at least on the road to like figuring out what the fuck is going, like how we can get through this. Yeah. I've never heard anybody She didn't say they're in couples before. therapy, right? She's just in therapy herself, I think. No, she said couples therapy. Did she said couples? Yeah. But even so, that's just like, I just saw a lot about, I just saw a lot into my relationship and you hearing you say that. Just yeah, like, same. you know, it's like, and I've never heard anybody really talk about um, I guess intimacy in that way but of course of course everybody's different right but just like knowing and also like people don't talk about it no no and also so much of relationships it's like it's compromise right and it's not all like bad compromise isn't such a bad thing it's just like you like it this way we'll do it this way and next time we'll do that way yeah, but you gotta exactly. know you've got to know that you're making the, that you're cognitively as you said making this decision and aware of what's going on so that you can fix it yeah. Genius. Right. Goddamn genius. Yeah. I mean, and, and you two aren't the only ones. I think a lot of, well, the, so more women than men have high inhibition and more men than women have high excitation, but it's not by a huge amount. It's not all women and all men, but women yeah. in particular often feel very validated after hearing that this is an actual biological, neurobiological fact yeah. that people sometimes have high inhibition and they now understand why oh, that's why I need to do 20 different things before I get in the mood and why I'm not just always ready to go is I just have high breaks. And I, instead of trying to flame the gas and wear lingerie and push through these breaks, I don't need to continue to fan the flames of excitation. I need to try to decrease the breaks so that my natural libido can rise to the surface. Yeah. And that's what's often missing in the common cultural dialogue about sexuality. Mm -hmm. Girl, or the reverse reverse. Yeah. Uh, so Shit. good. Yeah. So, so, no, so good. I love it. Um, uh, Sylvia, I hope that that, yeah, Sylvia, I hope that that helps. really helps. And maybe comforts you a little bit. Totally. It seems like it's been a while since this incident. Yeah. But it's also been a while since your husband has not wanted to be intimate with you. Yeah. And that has to be really hard because you're clearly trying. Totally. To, I you know, so to Sorry. make things right yeah. after like the little mistake, if you want to call it that. Totally. Um, which says a lot I feel for both of you totally you know because I also see it from his side and how totally. it's hard maybe it's just hard for him to connect at all after that I mean you guys still it seems like you guys want to do you're there, like you're there. you guys other. are still there you're trying exactly. to fucking, you're trying to make it work in whatever yeah. way that you're both trying and that's I think mm -hmm. like what's most important right is like you both are willing to like do the work you just have to figure out what work is gonna work because mm -hmm. not that 
I'm a professional, clearly, but everybody fucking deserves happiness, dude. Like, punishing ourselves and all of this stuff, it's like, we all deserve happiness at the end of the day. And sometimes happiness is being together, and sometimes happiness is being apart. But, like, I just think we all deserve to at least figure out what it is that's going to make us happy. We're only, you know, we're only here Mm -hmm. once. For sure. We're only fucking here once, dude. Right. And, yeah, the final thing I'll say about that is therapists do vary in their approaches, especially towards extramarital or extradiatic um, sexual interactions, cheating, basically, or any other, you know, even when you're doing it ethically, people vary. So that we, when I was helping Jana create her course on ethical non-monogamy, we had to create an entire section on how to find a therapist that supports consensual non-monogamy and isn't going to be prejudiced towards people right. and think that they're inherently flawed or inherently wrong. There's a lot of stuff that can happen in therapy where the therapist is unknowingly and unwittingly, you know, stigmatizing people for any kind of sexual deviance that that they may expose that's not vanilla monogamous sex, which is, you know, most human beings do something besides that. Mm -hmm. If you look at stats or they at least fantasize about it, people have mostly non-vanilla fantasies if you look at the stats. Mm -hmm. So it's important when you're dealing with something like that if you feel like the therapist is only on the side of the person who's been cheated on and is not working to have both sides find empathy for each other, it might be time to find a new therapist or accept being permanently vilified by both your therapist and your partner, which I don't think is a reasonable long-term position. So I think what I'm trying to say, in short, try different therapists and look for one that's more open-minded. And that's the thing, right? Like, is that we're in a whole new world, dudes. We are in a whole new world where people live different lives, where people have different sexual fantasies, people have different relationships. And you can find, I mean, that's why the internet is incredible. incredible. Like, you can mm-hmm. find your people. Like, you can find, yeah, different we were just talking shit about the fucking, shit. yeah. Well, even if you just find, like, a, th- like a therapist that, you know, exactly what Chelsea is saying, because one doesn't right. live near you, or, like, a group of people who are living the same mm-hmm. lifestyle that you, like, strive to live. Like, you can find mm-hmm. your people, you know totally and even if you want to be monogamous for the rest of your life and you genuinely view this as a mistake there still needs to be a deeper empathetic compassionate attitude from the therapist towards you to find out why you did make this mistake and and also who wants your well-being ultimately right and that is not always common with people who do things that are considered sexually deviant unfortunately in the psychological profession so look out for someone that is able to hold both sides of this equation with kindness is what i'm saying i think that's that incredible answer. i think that was an incredible answer yeah same all right we got another question we do and it's a great one they're all great <laughs> they're all great they're all always great This is from Lucy. ADHD and the female orgasm. I have ADHD, inattentive type, and I have so far only been able to orgasm on my own, most often with porn. I promise my man gives it a good shot during sex, but I think I just get distracted with another person there. Have you heard of this before? And any tips? Thank you. P.S. I love the podcast. I binged all of it within the past month. Dude, you're the greatest. That's amazing. Or is she lying and she's like, just be nice about my answer. No, she fucking cleaned her (laughs) entire house and like, you know, the studio and got a bunch of laundry done. She can pay close attention when it comes to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast and masturbating. Look, as somebody with ADHD, I I know how podcasts work. You put that shit in, you get your life done. You get it done. I get it. This is a great question. It is because I think... (laughs) I mean, I'm undiagnosed ADHD, but I do believe that I have. Like, I mean, Elizabeth. as somebody who has ADHD, I see her and I'm like, you are me. Like, yeah. you are me when I'm not medicated. I see the signs. Yeah. And I actually thinking about it, it's definitely happened to me before during sex. Not often, but it has. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that it's the ADHD. You're just out there, girl. Like thinking about my grocery list. Okay. Talk to us. Let's now, now that we, the peanut gallery has said our piece, why don't we? <laughs> from I love the professional the, the professional <laughs> um well I would probably answer this question in a similar way that I did the last one which is try to address general trends that apply to larger groups of people because as I said I can't personally tell anyone anything about their very individual and precious life uh, that I don't know more about meaning we have these labels in psychology and the dsm about you know adhd or depression or anxiety or whatever it is that we have when you actually look at the data 
about people with ADHD or you look at the data about people with depression, you actually find huge variability in what actually constitutes the thing. And a lot of it, we don't really know what the cause is. So we're basically clustering people together under a subset of symptoms Mm -hmm. that we're actually unsure oftentimes the root cause of. Mm. And so since there's such great variability within within these diagnoses themselves and then in addition to that of course everyone just has a unique life story and a unique personality and many other things about them besides their ADHD that would affect this and their relationship and the sex life of her and her partner and many Mm -hmm. different things so since I can't address all of that I'm just going to address some things that apply about this question to many people so masturbation and masturbating in a specific way And then having an inability to actually orgasm with the partner is a very common question in sex education. Mm. Um, And people who have ADHD and who don't write in about this all the time. What has happened for a lot of people is that they're in a very set masturbation routine. So men and women go through this. You know, they watch one kind of porn or they have one fantasy. And usually it's porn, but sometimes it's fantasy too. And they sort of replay that same Uh, script, if you will, in their head or visually, and then they have a very specific way of touching themselves that creates arousal and orgasm. And because this is a reliable thing for them, just like what's happening here with this um, woman who wrote in, they continue to repeat that pattern, which seems logical because, well, I know this works, let me go do what works. The issue is that when we engage in a specific pattern repeatedly, what happens neurologically is that we actually create a sort of learning process around that behavior. So the more we do something, the more we have what's called long-term potentiation, which is where neurons actually start growing closer to each other and firing more easily in specific patterns. So you can imagine this like there's a big forest and you walk down the same path every day. Eventually, you're going to have a very well-worn-in path. And then when you try to venture out of that path into some other area, there's going to be a lot of shrubs and it's going to be kind of difficult and it's not (laughs) going to feel natural, right? Totally. And you kind of just want to go back to this one well-worn-in path. The issue is that when you keep walking down that path and you never venture out, the path gets so well-worn in that when you try to venture off of it, it doesn't work at all. The path's too too deep. You can't even jump out. It's too deep. Yep, yep. And so Mm -hmm. neurologically, the way this works is a process of automation, basically. So you know when you're in your car... And you, well, we don't have cars in New York, but I remember when I did have a car mm-hmm. and you somehow end up at your house and you were like, wow, I just drove however many miles here. And I barely even remember it was yeah. automation because your brain, we are wired so that we want to automize as much behavior as possible mm. so that we can devote our cognitive resources to learning new stuff and seeking out pleasure and seeking out food. And, and right, we don't want to just keep going over how to drive home if we drive the exact same way every day. So we make that as automated as humanly possible. So the more you do a behavior, the more heavily automated it becomes, Mm -hmm. the deeper the path gets. Yes, conditioning. Yes. So I will Mm -hmm. say with ADHD, one of the things that can happen is that because of the way dopamine works in ADHD, the process of automation tends to occur in an even more narrow bandwidth than for most people. So it's easier for people with ADHD and who have low executive function to get more addicted to things and to get more entrenched in certain set ways of behaving because of dopaminergic activity that is too complicated to get into here. So you would be even more susceptible to something like that, where if you repeat a behavior pattern over and over and over, you're even more likely to get entrenched in that behavior pattern to the exclusion of other behavior patterns. Mm. And this this happens with women and vibrators and porn. It happens with men and what they call the death grip, where they just, mm. when they're masturbating, they're just really doing it hard. And mm. when they go to have sex with something else that isn't this very specific way that they hold their penis with their hand, they can't have an orgasm. So, and again, same answer as to the previous question, you're not alone, very common problem. Mm-hmm. So... It's nothing that her boyfriend is doing wrong or that she's doing wrong. All of this is a normal, natural thing. And unless you know that you should maybe consider it, you wouldn't, right? And who talks about this? So the solution is, and this is kind of a painful process to go through sometimes, is to vary your masturbation routine. 
you shouldn't give up on the thing that brings you pleasure completely. Obviously, no one wants to not have an orgasm for an indefinite period of time. So <laughs> if you did go cold turkey, that would be another way of doing it. It's just a painful process. Ooh. But the idea is you cold need turkey. to create more paths. So, and cold turkey insinuates an addiction, which is not that. I don't want to sound like this is an addiction. But what I'm saying is, you know, if you love your vibrator, then use your vibrator. But also do other things sometimes, enough of the time, that I would say it should be at least maybe half and half, right? Mm -hmm. And hopefully the other half is not just one other thing, but a few other things. So the more we do different stuff, the more we're likely to engage in partnered sex, which inevitably is more unpredictable than solo sex, mm -hmm. and be able to have an orgasm, right? It's really hard to manufacture the same sequence of predictable events with someone else as it is yourself. So we have to train Ooh. our nervous system to be able to be open to Yo, variable girl, sexual experiences. Very deep what you just said. Yeah. It's true. But it makes total yeah. fucking sense. When it's just you, you know what the fuck is going on, you know what you need, you know everything. When somebody else is there, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, like, wait, why are you, why are you here? <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, but it doesn't, it, it never thought about it. But it makes, it like it makes yeah. sense for anyone, but it definitely makes sense for someone with ADHD, mm -hmm. even more so. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, not that this is the same as addiction, but in the last episode, we spoke about porn addiction. And I wonder if some of the things that you were saying earlier sort of would factor over, would you say, into, like, creating today's situation yeah i mean i'm hesitant to use the word addiction which i think we covered last time as well because Fair. that's a complicated term but yes. I, but i know what you're saying and i think the issue is yes it's the same fundamental issue which is habit patterns and if porn is helpful for you and it creates pleasure for you there's nothing wrong with that but if it creates a situation where there's no other option, then it could be something that causes you and your partner suffering, which is what is happening in this question. Yes. Um, so it's not a matter of getting rid of things or shaming oneself, but realizing that if you train your nervous system to respond to a 2D image that is a very specific one over and over and over, there is an inevitability that that will be what constitutes your arousal after a certain point. So basically we don't think, in our culture, we tend to not think of intimacy and sex as learned things. Mm -hmm. We think that they're just there. I just am this sexuality. I just like this. I just feel in love with my partner or I just don't. And the reality is there is some sort of truth in that. A lot of this occurs in very deep, old parts of the nervous system that are really resistant to change but there's also a learning aspect of it and this even occurs in mice i was just joking with my friend dr james faust about how he made mice kinky because or rats <laughs> he made rats kinky because he put these he put these little jackets on them uh -huh. and then before they ever had sex he put little rat jackets on and then he only let them breed with other rats with rat jackets and then the ones who their only experience was with the jacket they would not have sex with rats with no jacket oh my they god they only went for the rats with jackets yes so he made these rats kinky so even in rats it's not so animalistic creatures, yeah what you associate with getting off is what will get you off and mm. what you will continue to go towards. And it's a learned thing. These rats didn't come out of the womb liking rat jackets. Right. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like not typical that a rat has a jacket. Yeah. So you're probably right. Right. And he did. Yeah. And he did it with scents too. He did vanilla scented rats. And right. So he or almond, I think almond scented. So yeah. he, he was able to train them. This is the happiest really like lab rats. First of all, these, oh, yeah. the club. these are just rats that are at the club with the fucking jacket and perfume. Are you kidding me? I can like, picture it, right? 18 there. Some guy, he walks past, he smells like some almond. You probably like Axe body smell, body spray, Axe body spray. And I was like, Axe oh, body ooh. smell. It's more accurate. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, Chelsea, I have a question from a non-professional sex educator. My first mm -hmm. thought was like, why not like... I don't know if she said that she watches porn with her partner, but like, can, is that an option to bring the partner in? Oh to yeah, totally. Oh yeah. Totally. Oh yeah. yeah. That's the other, that's the other you thing know, I, I always suggest like to my friends. I think that's cold turkey and completely yeah. changing the path. Is like, you know. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, the first path is do more variability in your masturbation routine. And the second path that I almost always suggest to my female friends who are struggling to orgasm with the partner is just do what you do when you have an orgasm with the person. Because then you're doing the same conditioning process that I just talked about mm. with your partner. So if your body already knows, for instance, one of my friends was saying that she really has the most reliable orgasm in the shower with the shower head, which is a really common uh, place for women to have orgasms. The shower head is reliable for a lot of women. 
I feel so like I'm fucking I, up with so not my, having a fancy shower head. I really feel like I have one and I don't use it like that. I feel like I'm really missing out. You know, <laughs> gotta invest in that after this. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> shower head on Amazon Sorry. prices skyrocket after this podcast. Oh my god. You better get a kickback. <laughs> bought a hot tub and she said that they had a special jet called like the ecstasy jet or something like hot tub makers know yeah, that they this know is a thing up. right they yeah, know what's going on and they have the, I want to design jet hot tubs. that's hilarious yeah. so hot tub <laughs> jets and shower heads are very popular so um so my my advice is just go in the shower and do this routine but with him in the shower with you because then your nervous system starts to associate him with orgasms mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so that's the other side of it. Yeah, if there's a specific porn you watch and a specific routine you watch, you could either literally masturbate in front of them, within them, in the room, or you could do similar things when you're having sex with them, like the same porn or whatever, so that your nervous system starts to wire the two experiences together. Mm-hmm. So that would definitely be the other side of, of the coin. of how. But the, the salient point is starting to think about your sexuality as a thing that you are doing that is a learning process. And when you do things, you are conditioning yourself to like them. And it might not be apparent right away, but after months and years of the thing, mm-hmm. you are likely to associate whatever stimuli is in the environment when you fuck with fucking. Mm-hmm. That is the way the human nervous system works. And that's the way people develop strange fetishes that they don't really want. Like yes. if you masturbate in a closet with shoes as a kid, because that's the only place to go. And then you have a leather fetish. And now there's nothing wrong with leather fetishes, but maybe that's something where now I can't orgasm unless there's a smell of leather and that yeah. can be perceived as limiting, right? So it's all just sort of these accidental conditioning responses that often happen. And there's mm-hmm. deeper stuff as well, but that's important to keep in mind. That's for part three of when you come back. It's also goddamn interesting also i wanted to tell the listeners that if you are loving this episode and you want to hear more they're gonna be like um, if you want a good shower head. if you want a good shower head no um the last time chelsea was on was episode 45 it was beauty school number 15 how to create real intimacy in the 21st century with sex educator chelsea fasano so uh you can go back into listen and listen to that if you are just like digging this conversation which even i'm like i gotta go listen to that other episode i know because same. it was so good and you I love listening to you speak about these things because it's so brilliant and just makes sense. I learn so much every time. We learn tons. Even if it's not anything that applies to me personally. Yeah. But I also can always think of a client or a friend that it totally just human connection right we're all just trying to create and maintain human connection and i feel like you Mm. are an expert at that so thank you for sharing your knowledge with us oh well you guys are experts too because you're both in serious long-term relationships at a young age and so i mean there is the idea of studying something in school and there's the idea of actually doing it and those two things are both a form of expertise and so yeah i totally consider both of you people that have wisdom to offer in this arena because you know what it takes day in and day out to actually be with someone in a committed way. And both of you talk about your partners as being your best friends. And that's an accomplishment. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. Oh, it is true. He is my best friend. I love that guy so much. It's like disgusting sometimes. I'm like, God, you're my best friend, but he doesn't like my singing. So I don't know. He hates my singing. I know. He hates my singing. That's the only, (laughs) that's why Alex and I get along so well. That's why we sing all the time. It's true. Whatever our partners dislike about us, we love about ourselves and find within each other. So it works. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, guys. You got to listen to the accents and the songs. <laughs> um, do we it. have any any final words? Can you tell the people where they can support you, where they can find you, where you'd like to direct them to? Sure. Yeah. ChelseaFasano.com is my website. I have an Instagram at Chelsea Lee Fasano and an Instagram at orthogonal.com or orthogonal, can which is my it? podcast. Up. O-R-T-H-O-G-O-N-A-L, Orthogonal. This is the name of the podcast that I host that is getting started soon, which is about spirituality, sexuality, and neuroscience. And I can also usually be found through Kenneth Play because I work with him so much, and we're going to be doing a sex coaching program soon. So that's something to watch out for. Love it. Through his website, KennethPlay.com. So and great. I'll put the rest of the resources in the show notes about Esther Perel, Emily Nagoski, Ken Page and the other things we mentioned please, in the please do in the show notes please do and we're gonna have you guys you're gonna have you back on soon Chelsea has never agreed to this but she's my friend so I'm saying it right now uh, so send us any questions that you guys might have for her for the future episodes to True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast at Gmail. 
Maybe after listening to this episode, and if you go back and listen to the last, you'll have a better idea of what kind of questions you can ask. Exactly. Yes. She said it best. Um, So listen to our last episode with Chelsea, episode number 45. Send us your questions for future episodes with Chelsea. Um, Well, Elizabeth was telling you our email, and then I cut her off, but it's truebeautybrooklynpodcast at at gmail.com. And um, you can find us on Instagram at the same handle, at truebeautybrooklynpodcast. Wait, do we want to do segments? I can tell my hilarious sex story. (gasps) Please. Okay, so I wanted to tell <laughs> I wanted to tell a quick segment story and I didn't know then but I'm older now and I've been holding on to this because sometimes I just tell Alex stories and she's like, you know you need to tell this on the podcast, right? And that's how I know that I'm funny. <laughs> and so <laughs> If I say so. You say so. Sometimes I just I just be living my life. You know what I mean? So this is one of the nights when I was just living my life. So Kevin was out of town. Alex and I were out drinking. And we left for the night. And I got home. And I was, like, feeling... Oh, I need to rewind this. First of all, when we moved from our last apartment to our new apartment, somehow my entire bag of sex toys disappeared. I don't what? know if, like, the movers took it. I don't know. I thought that maybe I just, like, put them in, you know, in storage. We've got storage downstairs. I can't fucking find this shit. Somewhere there's a real, real bag somewhere between here and Williamsburg filled with dildos and, <laughs> and vibrators. <laughs> so we were in our new apartment. Kevin wasn't home. I'm wasted. Just left Alex for the night. And I was like, Do you know what? I'm feeling myself but I don't have any sex toys. And I just happened to Google, like, is there a sex shop that's, of course there's a sex shop that's open in New York. It's a matter of like, it's post pandemic. Is there a sex shop these days that's still open? So I find one that's like 24 hours. I need to find the name of it because we've got to go back there. Get an it's Uber. It's in Long Island City, It's right? in Long Island City. So I'm like, it's only 10 minutes away by Uber. <laughs> I get an Uber and I get dropped off at this sex store. Walk in, lights blasting. I don't know if you guys have ever been yeah, drunk. Always really, but, it's but so. Sex shops always I mean, have so bright because they don't want people stealing shit. Oh, you think it would be like dim to like? You would think a mood. so, and that's what I'm thinking. First of all, I go incognito. Number one, I got my hat on. <laughs> I got my jacket on. I know you never know, especially the industry. You, right? you see clients when we're out you know and about I mean? all. And I'm also the like trash. I'm like aware that I shouldn't be doing this, but it's like I don't give a shit, right? Let's just uh-huh. do it anyway. So, but I'm gonna do it incognito. And so I don't know if you've ever been drunk in New York and you think it'd be for whatever reason you've got to get on the train and you're like I'll get on the train and get to the next bar, but you get on the train and those fucking fluorescent lights, bitch, you are sober. Shit is too real. You can't be handling that shit. And so this is me walking into that sex shop. <laughs> The lights are on. What time was it? This was maybe like 11 o'clock. Like maybe 11 Hilarious. But this was like kind of still during the pandemic. So like yes. that was really three in the morning. Exactly. You right? Know? Lights are on. Cardi B's blasting. Everybody is so up. And girl, the song is up. Is it up? Is it up? Is it up? Is it what? Hey, girl. I love your hat, girl. We see you, girl. I'm so- <laughs> You're like, I literally don't want anyone to fucking see me. But meanwhile, my ass, you know that I love a goddamn outfit. So, of course, I can't just go in, like, a baseball hat. I got a whole outfit. And they see it because it's gays in New York. And so they're like, bitch, we see you in your hat. It's fabulous. What you want, girl? You want a big dildo? What you want? And I'm just like, I'm just going to go to the back and, like, just choose this myself. Yo, this place was so funny. Great customer service, I'm not gonna lie, because I brought my findings to the to the store or to the counter to check out. And she's like, girl, between me and you, you could pay a little bit more and get much more out of this. This is just gonna break after the first time, girl. You don't want that. I was like, no, girl, you're right, I don't want that. She's like, come over here, let me teach you about this vibrate. I was like, this is the best customer service, because they see that my ass don't wanna be here and they don't care. They're like, we're going to call your ass out. We're going to sell you some vibrators. And we're going to sing Cardi the so whole way. Good. We're going to have a good time doing it. And, yo, there's a wheel. There's a wheel that you could spin on your way out to get some free, like, lube or, like, condoms. You win? I was like, bitch, I got to go. I couldn't. After all of that, I was like, I got to get out. I love you guys, but I cannot be in the store for a moment longer. Can I have my $200 worth of sex toys? <laughs> also, the Uber driver who's like, just dropped someone off at a fucking a sex, fucking shop. sex shop. The next Uber driver just picking someone picking up at a sex shop. somebody up at a sex shop. Back home in 10 minutes. <laughs> Amazing. It was good stuff. It's, it's, so, it's always good stuff. I had to replace everything. So, so good. I didn't know then, but I'm older now. Guys, there's a sex shop that's in Long Island City open until like midnight, one o'clock. You should check it out. You 
you just have to Google it. I forgot the word. I wish I could shout, that, shout them out right now, but this was so, this is back in like March or so. So fucking, um, just Google it. You, y'all are fine, but, and have fun. Kind of wish I'd just gone with you, had I known. I know, well, it was kind of a private moment. I'm not gonna oh, lie. Sorry. It's a little, I mean. I just feel like it would have been a really fun time. I mean, I guess you really would have known me at the end of it. You know, that's Next what it is. Next time we I'm go not, out, I'm, I'm not like, I know where we're going after hours. <laughs> 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 I replace everything. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not just like, oh, I'll get one thing. It's like, look, if I'm here, I'm here. I don't know if I'm ready for you to know me like that. The underwear made of candy. If it was only that, girl, you know it wasn't fucking no underwear made out of candy. Um, anyway, so that's my dirty little secret, guys. So on that note, thanks so much for listening. And now you see why me and Chelsea are friends. So good. Um, so yeah, now we can actually close up the show. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, so oh, you, you can follow time. us on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. At um, True Beauty Broken Podcast. Send us your, I didn't know them, but I'm older now. Send us your questions. Tell your mama to tell your sister to tell your auntie about the show. And that's and it. That's it. We love you guys. We'll see you later. See you next time. Bye. Bye. This has been a COCBK production. Produced by us. Elizabeth Taylor and Alex Shapiro. Our engineer is Bart Tripoli. Our theme music composer is Zebra Sonic. Our artwork is by Garrett Ross. Our photos, hair, and makeup are by Sabrina and Joe Holdsworth. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com/ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Exactly right